Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at understanding the blockchain. Among the topics we'll cover are what exactly the blockchain is, why it's being heralded as a technology that can upend entire industries, and how it will be used to grease the wheels of the next big wave of entrepreneurship. Here with us today to talk about all that and more is Alex Tapscott. Alex is the co-author of the recently released book, Blockchain Revolution, how the technology behind Bitcoin is changing money, business, and the world. Alex is the CEO and founder of Northwest Passage Ventures, an advisory firm that builds blockchain companies. In 2014, he wrote the seminal report on governing digital currencies for the Global Solutions Network Program at the Joseph L. Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Also here with me in the studio at Three Pillar to facilitate the conversation is my coworker Michael Liss. Michael leads the financial services vertical at Three Pillar, where he helps clients develop value-driven business solutions, including a recently launched blockchain-based asset trading platform that is the first of its kind in the U.S. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Glad to be here. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So let's kick things off with a little bit of education for listeners that may just be hearing of blockchain for the first time. What is blockchain technology in its simplest form? Well, simply put, uh, blockchains are vast global uh, distributed platforms based on what's called a distributed ledger that run on many computers, um, sometimes millions of computers, and are open to just about anyone, where not just information, but literally anything of value, so money, stocks, bonds, intellectual property, music, art, even uh, votes can be recorded, uh, moved, and managed, and where trust is not established by an intermediary like a bank, but rather um, through mass collaboration and clever code. So in other words, we think it's the second generation of the internet. The first generation brought us the internet of information. The second generation is bringing us the internet of value, which we think is a big idea and a big deal, and it's going to have a big impact on money, business, and society. So let me ask a little bit about the promise of blockchain. You believe that it's immense and, and that it could have a greater impact on the world economy than things like self-driving cars, solar energy, and artificial intelligence. So what are some of the ways blockchain technology will go on to impact the world economy? So the reason we think it's such a big deal is because it solves a huge problem with the first generation of the Internet. So when you send information or move information online, you're not actually sending an original. You're sending a copy. And that's, generally speaking, a good thing when it comes to certain kinds of information, like what's on a website or what's in a PDF or what's in an email. Um, it means we all have a printing press for information. But when it comes to things of value, like money or assets, um, sending a copy is a really bad idea. If I send you $100, 
it's really important that you have it and I don't, and I can't spend the same $100 somewhere else or send the same $100 to a million other people. This is a problem that cryptographers uh, call the double spend problem, and they've been trying to resolve it for the better part of 20 years. So even with the internet today, we still have to rely on powerful intermediaries to establish trust and to uh, execute all of the transaction logic uh, of business online, like the clearing and settling of transactions. And intermediaries have problems. So number one, they're centralized, which means they're prone to attack. Um, number two is they capture a lot of our data, which not only prevents us from monetizing it, it could also potentially undermine our privacy. Um, they tax the system in the case of sending money abroad up to 10% or more. Um, they are governed by regulations which can be outmoded or outdated. In some, they capture an asymmetric amount of the value that's been created um, online through the first generation of the internet, where the biggest companies in the world are actually companies like Google and Facebook and Apple who have benefited enormously from this. So blockchain technology removes the need for this trusted intermediary in virtually every kind of commerce, or at least radically diminishes them. And so you can imagine in literally every single business, not just in financial services, um, but in the media business and manufacturing, um, even in the technology space, um, not having to rely on a central intermediary to clear and settle transactions and to create trust opens up a whole host of new kinds of business models, which we think are going to have a radical impact on a whole bunch of industries. And uh, Will's super excited now, Alex, because what he heard in the beginning is you're sending him $100. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I'm going to send – well, now <laughs> I can send him $100 using Bitcoin or, or Ethereum, um, and that way he'd know that he actually has the 100 Yep. Otherwise, I could have sent him a little PDF that says, you have $100, but really I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> Double spend problem solved. Excellent. Just sign up to play Candy Crush, and it's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you mentioned business models in the last answer, and that segues yeah. nicely into the next question. There's a chapter in the book whose name I love, which is New Business Models, Making It Rain on the Blockchain. So in that chapter, you talk about how a truly disruptive company like Airbnb could someday be uprooted by something along the lines of what you call B -Air Airbnb, or maybe you pronounce it Bearbnb. Uh, anyway, it's B Airbnb. Can you talk about some of the advantages that a B Airbnb would have over the Airbnb that everyone knows and loves today? Sure, and this is where I get really excited because this is not just about disrupting old industries like financial services. It turns out that some of the big disruptors from the most recent generation of technology um, could themselves be disrupted. And companies like B Airbnb, or sorry, excuse me, <laughs> Airbnb, uh, Uber. TaskRabbit, Lyft, etc. Um, they're part of this so-called uh, sharing economy, which is one of those words that seems to have kind of come out of nowhere uh, to capture people's imaginations. But we actually don't think that any of these companies have anything to do with sharing at all. Uh, sharing has to do with the free exchange of value and the free exchange of information. What, what these companies do is act as centralized uh, service aggregators. So they just aggregate excess capacity. So in the case of Airbnb, it's excess rooms. In the case of Uber, it's excess cars and the drivers who are willing to pilot them. Uh, in the case of TaskRabbit, it's handyman skills, etc. They aggregate this excess capacity and they sell it through a centralized um, sort of server, essentially, where they're redistributing it um, and in the process capturing a lot of value. So the idea between behind B Airbnb is that rather than having to rely on an intermediary called Airbnb 
And really, what does Airbnb do? I mean, they, they organize capability, they coordinate, they also act as a central payment hub, um, as a place to reconcile differences between owners and renters, um, et cetera. You could actually take all of that capability and put it onto the blockchain on, in what's called a distributed application. Um, which, like the blockchain itself, which is distributed, the application is not run on one central server, but rather is run uh, across a whole bunch of computers um, across the network. And it's important to think of you know, blockchains themselves as sort of one giant computer. Uh, Bitcoin is the biggest blockchain, but there's also Ethereum. And Ethereum essentially is the, the largest computer that's been ever built. And uh, having it as a distributed application has a number of big advantages. Um, so we can walk through them, but there, there are some obvious ones, which is that instead of your personal data moving through a central server where it can be used for future commercial exploitation, all of the information moves bilaterally across the network between renters and uh, the providers of housing. Um, the payments themselves happen and execute automatically without the need for a financial intermediary, which makes them um, obviously less costly, but also less uh, risky. Um, the reputation that you would, might use in a system like this to, say, uh, prove that you're a reliable renter would be the result of all of your previous uh, past history using the service, but also uh, your social and, and economic sort of capital that you could use to build a reputation. So you wouldn't necessarily need a central reputation management system like what Airbnb has. Um, the insurance component of it could be managed by this distributed application where it goes out and bids for insurance um, with uh, you know the best provider to manage risk um, in the system. And then finally and importantly, the 20% cut that the broker takes, Airbnb is really just a brokerage model, um, for providing all this capability and for managing payments and for creating trust um, could then go uh, back either towards the consumer who saves money or to the uh, person who's providing the place who would actually be able to charge more. So the end result here is a system that is, uh, I think, virtually indistinguishable in terms of the user interface, but on the back end, more private, uh, more secure, uh, more efficient, and one where the creators of value, in this case, the people providing the homes, actually get to keep more of it. And I think ultimately that's a better model. So what that means essentially is that any of these sharing company, economy companies who are really just intermediaries uh, themselves are, are poised to be massively disrupted by this. And this applies to Uber, it applies to um, Lyft and, and, and all of these other companies as well. And, and so let me just, let me dig a little deeper on, on how that would work because I, I am sure. a, a relative noob. Say I, I am a, a person looking to rent a room on, on B or B and B. Uh, do I need to have, do I need to have my own blockchain account? Like how, how where would I go to do that? Well, in the same way that you might have a, a Airbnb app on your phone, you would just mm -hmm. go and download B Airbnb, okay. and it would be and it would be the software would scan and filter um, all of the listings that live on the blockchain for the ones that meet your criteria. So I don't know, you're in Paris and you want to be 10 miles from the Eiffel Tower or less with mm -hmm. two bedrooms and a four plus star rating. Done. Um, the user experience, the idea behind this concept is that it's completely indistinguishable, mm -hmm. uh, but with some very important differences, um, namely the idea that uh, the value is kept by the people who create it and there's more privacy in the transactions and in the communications that happen uh, between users and renters of the platform. And, uh, and you know, of course, if someone would have to build B Airbnb, this isn't, you know, a, a software agent that builds itself, at least not yet. It doesn't have the artificial intelligence to do that. So if there's someone who is building the software and updating it, making sure it runs, 
of course they ought to get compensated in some way, but it's certainly not 20%. Um, you know, most estimates from people who are building platforms like this is that it's probably more that more like a couple of percent for acting as sort of a curator of the platform rather than as the intermediary. Yeah. Is it fair to say that um, given that these aggregation type plays that we're seeing today, um, part of the value that they're also conveying is in the is in the proper user experience? And there's always going to be a need for that in user experience. But the rest of the model uh, can be wildly disrupted by blockchain. I think that's very fair. And to Airbnb's credit, they've actually taken steps to um, build out blockchain capability. In fact, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, they bought a, um, a blockchain development company. The name is escaping me, unfortunately. It's uh, Change Something. But anyway, I think they see you know, uh, an opportunity here or potential risk to uh, disrupt their business. And so they're trying to put the people and the resources in place to anticipate that. Uh, Change Tip is the name of the company that they purchased. Got it. Or maybe uh, somebody close to the company was at uh, London. It was in London like I was, and I know Don was talking about uh, B Airbnb uh, at the time. So maybe somebody woke up and said, oh, crap. <laughs> maybe we ought to look into this thing. Well, here's the way that I think, of, you know, I think that companies like B, like, excuse me, I keep saying B, Airbnb are now probably looking at blockchain the way that a lot of banks are looking at blockchain which is to say I can actually optimize my existing business by reducing the friction and the cost of a bunch of stuff like messaging, like payments, like coordinating capability, like contracting between users and, and, uh, and uh, owners of rooms. And maybe there's a way to actually cut costs in my business and drive margin growth. That's the way a lot of banks think when they're thinking about blockchain right now, which is I spend a lot of money on back office, I spent a lot of money on transfer agents, I spent a lot of money on, um, and I, I put up a lot of risk when I go through clearing houses. What if I could settle transactions bilaterally? Couldn't that cut costs out of my business? So I think that's what Airbnb is thinking. But I think that's fair, but I think it's the wrong way to look at it. Because really, what they should be thinking about, anybody that acts as a brokerage aggregator, which is I think what banks and, and Airbnbs of the world do, broadly speaking, they should be saying, how is this actually going to like disrupt the underlying um, aspects of how my business works and could I get displaced? And if so, how should I be thinking about managing that risk? And I'm not sure people are quite there yet. Yeah, but you're you're talking about things that are near and dear to my heart as a uh, recovering strategy consultant. So <laughs> good, good, good to good to hear about that. Great. So so let me ask you right in the book about how blockchain can make it easier for folks that are looking to start a business to do so. How does it enable entrepreneurship? Well, it, it enables entrepreneurship in a, a number of important ways. And the, really the, the key things in starting a business are um, accessing capital, uh, incorporating, and then the costs of doing business, like searching, like the cost of search, this cost of coordination, the cost of bargaining, um, the cost of transactions, et cetera. Um, so in each of those different aspects of, of starting a business, there's an opportunity for blockchain to uh, reduce friction and um, increase um, the ease by which people do that. So a great example of that is what I like to call the blockchain IPO. So we looked at the financial services industry um, and tried to dissect exactly what it does. And one of the things that it does is it connects investors with corporations that are looking or, or, or entrepreneurs who are looking 
for growth capital to fuel their business. And it does so in a number of ways. You know, you've got angel networks, you've got venture capital, you've got IPOs, you've got bank debt, you've got crowdfunding, et cetera, et cetera. But each of these different things are basically doing the same thing. How could blockchain make it easier for an entrepreneur with a business to connect with people who are prepared to invest in it? Well, in the summer of 2014, um, a 20-year-old entrepreneur, um, savant genius named Vitalik Buterin, um, launched a crowdfunding campaign for a new platform that he was building. It's called, it was called Ethereum. And he wanted to take all the good stuff about Bitcoin and make it better um, by adding a whole bunch of rich functionality that people could program right into the blockchain. And he launched this crowdfunding campaign, not through Kickstarter or through Indiegogo, but on a peer-to-peer basis. And he incorporated in, in Switzerland as a non-for-profit um, and launched this campaign. And within a month, he had raised the equivalent of 18 million US dollars from people who are swapping Bitcoin uh, for the native token. So you can think of that in a sense as equity in the new company, um, you know, on a sort of one for 500 basis or something. Um, the point is, there was no platform. He didn't use any intermediary. There was no lawyer. There was no Kickstarter. There was no payment provider, there was no investment banker, uh, there was no venture capitalist or angel network. He managed to raise almost 20 million US dollars on a peer-to-peer basis. Today, uh, Ethereum is worth a billion dollars. It's the first blockchain crowdfunded unicorn ever. And it's being used by Microsoft, UBS, Deloitte, Manulife Financial, and a whole bunch of other companies. And some people, including myself, think it is one of the most exciting things that's happening in the space today. So what if more entrepreneurs who wanted to build businesses could issue tokens directly on the blockchain representing a share in a company um, and raise the critical growth capital they needed and do so on a peer-to-peer basis and on a global scale? So the average size of the uh, payment that was made on the Ethereum platform was a couple hundred dollars, but there was no limit to how much people could buy. You see, today in a lot of places in the world, if you want to put money into a startup, you need to pass a whole bunch of requirements set by the government. Are you an accredited investor, um, for one, in the U.S.? Uh, in this w- new model, anybody with as little as five or ten cents, theoretically, could become um, a provider of growth capital to entrepreneurs. And for a lot of people in the world who have no way to save or invest, that drops the barrier significantly, and that might actually be a way for them to create meaningful wealth. So I think you're going to start to see a lot of um, new types of fundraising for entrepreneurs happen on a peer-to-peer basis directly on the blockchain. And so let me ask about your experience building blockchain-based startups. Uh, what kinds of companies are you investing in at Northwest Passage Ventures, and what are you looking for in companies that come to you? Well, I'm interested in any um, entrepreneur who has a vision to change an industry in a meaningful way. And by that, I mean, I'm not so interested in companies that want to uh, work around the edges to solve a problem for, you know, an incumbent. I'd rather them come to me with a vision for how they're going to completely revolutionize an entire industry. And there are a lot of different areas where I'm interested. Um, I think that financial services is going to be one of the first and quickest industries to be transformed by this technology. But I'm also very interested in anybody who's building uh, platforms to solve IP issues. Uh, One of the biggest problems today is that creators of content are paid last and they're rarely paid their fair share. Anybody who can build a platform that enables journalists, musicians, artists, uh, filmmakers to 
contract directly with consumers in a peer-to-peer manner is extremely interesting. And I'm working with a company right now uh, that's doing some stuff around that. Um, And I'm interested as well, uh, oddly enough, in the world of accounting um, because the audit practice globally is huge business controlled by four big firms that haven't really materially changed in 100 plus years in terms of how they do business. They still have armies of people going in, doing random sample accounting, combing over paperwork, looking at duplicate Excel spreadsheets. Um, There's an opportunity here with blockchain to create triple entry accounting schemes where every time a company enters into a transaction, not only do they record a debit and a credit, but they also have a time-stamped entry into a blockchain. And what that would do would create a living, breathing financial health scorecard of a corporation, which would allow any stakeholder, not just shareholders or auditors, but regulators uh, and other stakeholders, to have a clear and um, and transparent picture of what's going on inside a company, at least in terms of financial health. That is the, that is the potential to upend a multi, multi-billion dollar uh, business. And so I'm looking at, I'm actually looking for one right now. So if you hear anything, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> finders, finders fee paid on the blockchain will be fine by us. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do a free podcast. How about that? Ah, uh, but no, we got you already. <laughs> you, I know. You made the Good wrong point. deal. <laughs> Darn. I should have, I should have, I should have drove a tougher bargain with you guys. <laughs> Hey, I um, hope you don't mind. I had, um, had a couple of uh, questions that I, I know you'll have an easy time answering, but they weren't on the, they weren't on the question list. Uh, yeah, no problem. Okay, cool. So uh, I know from reading the book that you're not in the prediction business uh, around blockchain. <laughs> However, uh, it would be good to know what businesses that you've seen, even in their very early stages, that you think hold the most promise to use blockchain effectively and potentially uh, upend existing businesses and existing industries. Are you asking me what specific new like startups are doing it or what industries could be the most upended? Um, particular businesses. Let's, you know, uh, okay to name names. Um, and if you're not interested in naming names, at least uh, industry or sector. Well, I think that a lot of companies in the financial services industry need to evolve or die. Um, because there are a lot of ways that companies get paid today for doing comparatively little. That's not to say that that banks don't do lots of important things in business and society. In fact, I think they're critical, and I don't think they're going anywhere. But what blockchain does is um, enables us to price more effectively what value an intermediary adds. So, for example, a company like Western Union that's in the cross-border remitting business, um, there's a way to do that with blockchain for free. So, like, I don't see them... um, preserving much margin in that business. Even if they were to introduce blockchain, they would be making a fraction of as much as they were before. Um, Same goes for foreign exchange. I think that the foreign exchange business is going to uh, diminish significantly because um, increasingly we're going to all be using uh, the same ledger of what has occurred without the need to constantly reconcile foreign exchange. Um, I think that the, um, generally speaking, retail banking is going to see margins compressed close to zero. I mean, what a retail bank really does is give people a way to move money, give people a way to store money, and because they do both those things, they get to lend money out, and that's where they make their uh, spread on the, uh, on the interest margin. So I think that the storing and the moving of value is going to become a free commodity in the same way that Google searches a free commodity, and banks are going to have to um, deal with that. 
but I do think there are lots of opportunities as well for financial services firms. Um, there are going to be billions of people who are currently unbanked who will be able to get a bank account because the back end is um, cheaper and more efficient. Banks should be targeting that group of consumers. There's trillions of dollars of dead capital in the dark economy in the third world, and that's something they should be going after. Um, trillions of dollars of financial assets will need to get digitized using this native uh, blockchain format, and it's up to banks to um, figure out the best way to do that, and I think there will be a market opportunity there. So there are, there are two sides to every coin. Um, the area that I think, you know, I, I think that companies like uh, Spotify, for example, or Pandora are going to see their business models transformed fundamentally because right now um, the, you know, negotiation for a streaming company is not between um, the streaming company and the rights holder. It's between the streaming company and the advertiser, between Spotify and Volkswagen, not Spotify and Pink Floyd. Um, and so I think what you're going to see in the future is uh, IP rights management software built on blockchain, uh, like Mycelia, which is being built in London by a Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter named Imogen Heap in connection with another blockchain startup, um, to empower artists to monetize their content in a, in a way that will um, harm the bottom line for labels and streaming companies and other intermediaries. I could keep going, but those are some areas I think are really interesting. Got it. No, and I think you, I think you hit it, and maybe even hit uh, part of my uh, next question. Actually, final question that that I think we had for you. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm just coming last week from Consensus up in New York, where there was 1,500 attendees from who knows how many countries, and call it 90% of the heat was around financial services, and maybe even more specific around banking. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of fervor around blockchain within financial services. Which sectors outside of financial services do you think should be exploring, uh, experimenting, et cetera, with blockchain uh, with as much fervor as the banking industry is doing today? Well, I honestly think that every single industry is going to be fundamentally affected by this. And I could give you specific examples, but broadly speaking, not only does blockchain change the way that companies do business, it changes the underlying architecture of corporations themselves. So, you know, there's an old Nobel winning economist, uh, Ronald Coase, said, why do we have companies? And the reason he pointed to is transaction costs. So long as it's cheaper to do things inside the boundaries of a corporation, the company will continue to grow. Well, blockchain dramatically reduces transaction costs like the cost of contracting, of bargaining, of search, and of establishing trust. So if you no longer have those costs, then you no longer need to have the same traditional structure for companies. And that could lead to uh, the big disaggregation of whole corporations, the um, the sort of horizontal extension of, of, of uh, enterprises, you know, the networking of, of capability. It's a lot of jargon, but the whole idea is that the traditional, you know, vertically integrated company um, could be not long for this world. And so it doesn't matter if you're in a business that you think has nothing to do with blockchain, the technology will affect your underlying business itself. So stay tuned. Okay, nice. And let me ask one more question and we'll get you out of here on this, Alex. The list of people that you talked to in researching the book, which, yep. was, which was officially published yesterday in the U.S. Uh, over the weekend in Canada. Uh, but that, that list of people you talked to is amazing. It includes Mark Andreessen, Tim Berners-Lee, Vint Cerf, and a number of other heavy, heavy hitters. So how did you get an audience with all of those people? Well, it's an interesting question. 
And when we started the process, we weren't sure how deep blockchain went, how many people were really thinking about it. And we were pleasantly surprised to see that this was a really important topic in a lot of places. It was an important topic in uh, the technology world, of course, and in venture capital, uh, but also in government and business and law enforcement, um, in civil society and governance. uh, And all of a sudden, people just wanted to talk about it. Um, I think it helped, too, that we've got lots of credibility on the issue. I wrote um, the sort of only report that's out there on the idea of multi-stakeholder governance. And, of course, my co-author, Don Tapscott, has written 15 bestsellers about technology and business and society. And uh, so that combined with the right moment and the right time in human history, and we managed to to talk to some really important people who provided outstanding insight into the subject. And it was largely because of their insight, we were able to produce what we think is a really compelling book on the subject. Okay, nice. Well, the the public seems to agree. We were talking before the podcast got started about the success of it, the early success of it so far. Number one on a number of Amazon category bestseller lists. Uh, The book is called Blockchain Revolution, and it's a It's a uh, riveting read. Thanks so much for joining us today, Alex. Great talking with you about the book and the promise of blockchain. Thank you. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. If you'd like to learn more about Alex Tapscott, you can follow him on Twitter at at Alex Tapscott. That's T-A-P-S-C-O-T-T. To buy Blockchain Revolution or to learn more about it, you can visit the book's website, at www.blockchain-revolution.com. Thanks again to Alex Tapscott for joining us this week. Thanks to Michael Liss for playing co-host with me. And thanks to you for joining us. Don't forget to tune into the next episode of the podcast when we're excited to have Amy Herman coming on to talk about her new book called Visual Intelligence. We'll look at how changing up the way you see the world can have dramatic effects on your business and your life. Amy's well-known seminar, The Art of Perception, has been used to train everyone from doctors and FBI agents to members of the State Department and Fortune 500 executives. So don't forget to tune in. We're going to air that episode on June 6th, since we brought you this episode hot on the heels of the Mitch Gelman episode, We're going to take next week off, and then the following week is Memorial Day on Monday. So the next episode will air June 6th, and it will be Amy Herman talking about visual intelligence. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www.3pillarglobal.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or SoundCloud. And you can also download our very own iOS app in the iTunes App Store.